0: With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu
1: and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast, your weekly fill of all things food, drink and travel related, brought to you by the Greedy Goblins. It is Halloween, forgive me, in the Olive Magazine team. My name is Laura Rowe, I'm the editor and your host for this week. This episode, Olive's cookery writer Adam chats to author of the Mushroom Cookbook, Liz O'Keefe, and learns are actually thousands of the little fungi, Liz's favourite type and her way to eat them digital intern Amanda met up with Samaya Asmani to discuss the unique flavours of Pakistani cuisine and her career as a food writer, cookery teacher and author plus we're getting super organised with our top tips for a crafty Christmas from Olive, our editor and stationery extraordinaire, Nikki James nikki has got loads of advice for making foodie gifts, decorations, table settings and more, so let's get cracking shall we, here's Adam and Liz talking mushrooms <laughs>
2: Hey guys, I'm here with Liz O'Keefe, who's just published a book all about mushrooms. Can you tell us a bit more about the book, and when it's out, where is it, and all those sort of good things?
0: Yeah, well it came out um, at the beginning of October, mm-hmm. um, you can get it on Amazon, and on Waterstones, and any good bookshop, um, and basically it's called the Mushroom Cookbook, but it's a bit more than that, it's basically around about 40 mushroom profiles. So different mushrooms from all over Europe and the world. Um, and it looks at cultivated mushrooms as well as the wild mushrooms. Mm-hmm. So you've got profiles on your normal, everyday, portobello mushrooms, mm-hmm. butter mushrooms, down to your more exotic um, porcini mushrooms yeah, or cool. trompettes mm-hmm. um, or Caesar mushrooms, my favourite. Mm. Um, and then the second half of the book goes on to look at how you cook them how you cook them according to the different types and then 55 um recipes and they step step-by-step picture yeah. recipes
2: well that's what sort of leads me as my first question really is like is it frustrating that obviously you're you've uh, detailed all these mushrooms but is it frustrating that most people's access and knowledge of mushrooms is just to like portobello chestnut that's yeah or like and button i'd say
0: yeah i mean um Probably not frustrating, more kind of exciting that people haven't discovered it yet. Yeah, true. And they've got a whole world ahead of them um, if they haven't, you know, quite got there. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I'm sure a lot of people know, you know, have their favourite mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. Um, But a lot of people just are still used to kind of just popping into a supermarket and picking yeah. up um, just your normal white mushrooms yeah. but um, that's one of the reasons why we wrote the book I wrote the book with um, Michael Haines, mm. who's actually the mushroom man the
2: mushroom man yeah. the, mushroom the
0: mushroom man, man. Yeah. yeah. he could do nothing else but yeah. deal with, with mushrooms basically so he is a wholesaler down at Covent Garden Market and he um, distributes mushrooms he sources mushrooms out to all of the London um, hotels and restaurants wow, and okay. further afield mm-hmm. and delis. Mm-hmm. So he's been dealing with mushrooms for he's 25 the, like, years. He's the
2: go to guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cool. for whatever, so whatever a mushroom real you want. Authoritative,
2: authoritative <laughs> mushroom voice.
0: Yeah. So we, we, I mean, I've always like, been fascinated with mushrooms and I've known him for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to just go in and steal mushrooms from him, basically. Yeah. In in a nice way. In a nice way. Um, ask if he would give me mushrooms, mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah, and we decided that it would be a good idea to try and get people into the other wonderful mushrooms you can find because mm-hmm. it's it's a big world out there. There's probably I think the last like um, suggestion was that there's probably about two thousand three hundred wow. edible species. Wow. Um, so we really do That's just barely like, even scrape yeah. the surface of we really what really is actually just have a few. yeah yeah.
2: Um, So, a little interesting fact that you write in the book is that mushrooms are the blue bacteria in blue cheese, the fizz in your drinks, and even the protein in pet food. Can you explain that? Because I was trying to work out how and where. Yeah,
0: so it's a fungi that starts off um, with the the blue bacteria. So, they're the starting point to a lot of um, proteins, um, like it's a growing thing, Mm. you know, it can be led towards bacteria so um yeah it's just it's crazy how many things like mushrooms literally hold us all together
2: yeah i mean and actually it was interesting reading that the mushroom that we know is really just the above ground fruit which is connected yeah. to a sort of biodiversity biodiverse little um world underneath almost which yeah. is actually also the mushroom
0: yeah so so the mushroom is below the ground mm. the mushroom is can it's it's massive yeah um and the yeah the fruiting bodies that come up above the soil mm-hmm. with the exception of um of truffles mm-hmm. which stay underneath uh, yeah yeah
2: um
0: yeah they're just they're basically what happens when they grow mm-hmm. so um when you know when any plant becomes stressed stressed they um produce something yeah so you've got two different types of mushrooms it gets a bit sciencey that's cool why not not? so you've got your satraponic mushrooms and your microgeyser mushrooms Um, so the um, microgeyser mushrooms kind of like grow with um, the tree any kind of tree roots yeah. and kind of share nutrients.
2: And what would be a good um, example of that? I could,
0: like an oak tree. Yeah, or, or, or
2: like the, the mushroom, I mean. Like what would be a good example? Oh,
0: one? right, sorry. Um, sorry. So <laughs> any kind of wild mushroom. So like a chirol or um, something like that? Yeah, chirols, yeah. definitely. Um, so you, and um, trumpet mm-hmm. mushrooms. Um, so you will see them. Around trees. Around so they're, you yeah. like, the forest mushrooms. Because I know that's a
2: good way of, like, well, the little I know about foraging mushrooms is to look for the type of tree that you're wanting, then you'll find the type of yeah, mushroom. Because, like, yeah. they gravitate towards one, like, your yeah. or gravitate to an oak to tree or something, and then growing. you're sort of, yeah, so actually yeah, you're not really looking down types. on the ground, you're sort of looking up and up, you know, just to look at what the trees are, then you find the tree, and then... Yeah,
0: and there's always, like, anomalies, like, things in nature kind of happen, and yeah. you get your parasitic mushrooms yeah. that will, like, take over other mushrooms, mm-hmm. and... They'll, they'll go off on their own way yeah, yeah. it's wherever the spores go as well yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah and then with the satraponic mushrooms mm-hmm. that's more like field mushrooms or hedgeways right. um, and they're usually um, on decaying matter mm-hmm. or in grass mm-hmm. and they need something to grow through From, uh, yeah. through so yeah, would
2: that yeah. be similar to how we is that how, more similar to what we grow mushrooms to like through compost is what in the West is pretty yeah. much what we would say like your button yeah. mushrooms and it's your chestnuts. That's healthy. how
0: cultivated mushrooms mm. um, mm-hmm. are cultivated. Great. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's it's quite different. It's very hard to cultivate. And um, well, uh, all mushrooms are originally wild. Yes. But um, what we term wild mushrooms, it's hard to cultivate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, things like, you know, porcinis,
1: yeah. you know, you just,
2: just won't. You You've just to, got to find them. Yeah, you just have to go out and Which find, is why yeah. they're so expensive. Yes. Yeah, I think there's, there's a certain charm in that, I think, as well, yeah. you know. It's sort yeah. of, there's, it, it puts a premium on them, but it, that means that it's a, it's a product you have to go and get, you know. You have to go and yeah. find it. And well, they're, well, they're also
0: more, um, they're tastier mm. as well. You know, like you pay a pound upon it for some um, butter mushrooms that will can only really taste of that environment that they were grown in, which is very clinical and rightly so. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, that's why people pay more to um, get professional foragers to go out there and know where the mushrooms are, pick the best mushrooms, Mm -hmm. um, get them the, you know, the fact that, they find them and they're not like covered in maggots already. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so the the difference in um, the difference in flavour and texture and smell between like a button mushroom and a porcini is mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. you know completely miles, different miles. worlds. It's like they're not even the same mm-hmm. type of food stuff.
2: Yeah. So, what is your favourite mushroom and what is your favourite way to cook it, or just in general, what's your favourite way to?
0: like cooked mushrooms okay so I'm gonna go with a favorite mushroom question because um I never tire of answering this question because I it's hard to pick but I always know mm-hmm. when someone asks
2: it's already um, lined up you yeah already know what you're yeah
0: going to say. yeah because whenever I like I I love it when I'm, I get given them which i am in a you know privileged situation to be friends with the mushroom man yeah yeah um, but, yeah, whenever I see them in, like, Borough Market or down at a deli, like, it's I can't resist buying them. Like a them. straight It doesn't them. matter. Yeah, yeah. And then I always get them to weigh them, and I'm like, oh, OK, yes, yeah, no, yeah. I'll have them. Yeah, yeah. But so they're, um, that was a big build-up, but they're Caesar mushrooms.
2: OK, tell us a little bit about,
0: um, about them. So they're, for a start, they're beautiful.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, like a golden kind of orangey to bright orange colour. A little bit like chestnut
2: nice yeah, and yeah.
0: and actually they're a little bit chestnutty in uh, shape and um they kind of grow like a big light bulb
2: nice so like <laughs> less stem i'm I'm, sorry, I'm trying yeah. to imagine it, like less yeah. stem kind well, of like a they're
0: kind of like the um they have like a coating that grows over them okay. so they um so you, is
2: that like a protective like
0: yeah yeah um it's a protective veil mm-hmm. and um you know like the kind of um mushroom you get on a field mushroom um around like um the stem yeah just kind of like mushroom material yeah yeah um it like, frilly, it. like
2: frilly, sort of yeah frilly, yeah yeah, yeah.
0: The white stuff white, yeah it, it, kind of encloses the mushroom mm-hmm. so as it grows its gills and the actual top are completely covered mm-hmm. and therefore like almost like kitchen ready
2: yeah yeah so, so it's like it's the clean. most convenient yeah yeah mushroom. so you just you just got well, peel
4: and discard um, that outer layer and then yeah, you've got that beautiful clean if you mushroom. manage
0: to get them before right. they come out of that and then they turn into more like the typical um like gilled mushroom yeah, okay. um, with a cap mm-hmm. Um, so the the top is like slightly sticky, um, and then you make sure that's you know nice and clean both just a bit of like wet cloth, mm-hmm. and then inside you've got these really lovely almost velvety yellow gills wow. that kind of just if you get them like quite young, mm-hmm. like they just like flitter off you know you just pull them off yeah. and then um you could just eat them raw yeah. um and like they're really good with um like over a, a salad mm-hmm. or with they're great with like parma ham in, yeah. in the book i've got like a quite a, um a decadent um like Canopy kind of thing, okay. and um, it's uh, it's globe artichoke leaves mm-hmm. with the seasoned mushrooms scattered nice. on top, with a bit of parma ham, um, and then um, and then lemon zest.
2: Oh, very nice! Yeah, and Which a bit also, of but That sounds. Delicious. Which also leads me into my next question of, like, why don't we eat more raw, raw mushrooms? It's kind of always, for me, it was always something that was a bit lazy. It was, like, sliced up and thrown in a salad just to bulk it out of it. Yeah. But, like, if you go to somewhere like Italy, yeah. where they'll eat, like, beautiful wild mushrooms, completely raw, just dressed in olive oil, lemon juice, a bit of salt, and then just, they're so delicious like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's something we kind of miss out on um, in the UK because... Um, there's a there's a lot of uh, like scaremongering around um, mushrooms. Yeah, um, people aren't sure whether they're safe to eat. Yeah, yeah. We also use a lot of mushrooms too old. Yeah, like we don't like mushrooms. Really, are best eaten the day you the buy day, them, yeah, yeah. especially if you're going to eat them raw. Mm-hmm. I mean, like. There are plenty of wild mushrooms that are lovely raw, mm-hmm. but just even like button mushrooms, if you the day you buy them, if you yeah. just slice them really, really thinly, they can really taste of like coconut, mm-hmm. and they can just be really refreshing mm-hmm. and something different. Um, but also, it's important to say that with some wild mushrooms... Mm-hmm. Um, they can be poisonous yeah, like if I you eat them raw. I, I didn't
2: know that morels were. Yeah, you can't. I'm it, pretty it's sure. It just, when gets I you just t-
0: tummy upset. It, it won't kill mm. you. But, you know, if you're young or old or, you know, like, it, it's just not a good idea. But that's why this book is so good. I mean, I would say that. But, you know, we have, like, the profiles mention, you know, can you eat them raw? Um, you, how you should um, prepare them to make sure that you know, you find something in a market mm-hmm. or even, you know, a lot of the supermarkets are doing wild packs um, now. Yeah, no, um, yeah. So that's the thing.
2: People have so much more access to the, yeah, to the wild. Yeah. Like you can get your and things in those little packs and yeah. shimeji and all that. It's like Japanese-style yeah. ones, It's really cool. For me, as a food writer, that's really cool for me because it opens so many doors to different things that well, I yeah, can, can do. yeah, you can include in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely.
0: Um, so, yeah, that's what was so great for, you know, as we were putting the book together, mm-hmm. I think the, you know, a couple of supermarkets started the wild packs yeah. um, and the, and as you say, the cultivated packs, mm-hmm. and it just opens it out for, you know, it's actually accessible. Like yeah. people can find pretty much like 50% of these mushrooms yeah. in the supermarket. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously it's seasonal, mushrooms are very seasonal. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's a bit of a myth that they're only available in um, autumn. Yeah. Because there's, a, you know, like the morel, you know, very grows, springtime grows mushroom. over a huge area, which yeah. it also has a lot
2: of differing temperatures, so I suppose, if, like, you can get them from varying different places. And well,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, summer will always be very seasonal. Mm-hmm. Like the Caesar mushroom, for example, yeah. that only has probably about a month.
2: Wow, okay. And
0: it's in, like, you know... Uh, just in, like, Italy and, and France and Romania. Place, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and morels will only go from, like, probably about February um, to the start of summer. Yeah. Um, but you're right with, like, I think gerols are um, pretty much all year round because yeah, you can yeah. get them from so many different, different places, places as the yeah, weather yeah. moves, mm-hmm. which is great.
2: Yeah. Good. Well, Liz, thank you so much for uh, talking to me about uh, mushrooms. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Cheers. Next, we have Amanda and Samaya.
5: Hello, I'm here with Maya Ismani and we're going to talk about all things to do with Pakistani cuisine. Smaya is a food writer, author and cookery teacher and she's also well known for UK's go-to Pakistani cuisine. So I thought we'd start with kind of your background, your heritage, where it all kind of came from.
4: Sure. Uh, well, I grew up in Karachi in the southern part of Pakistan and I spent my whole life there. And I don't think I actually realised how definitive the flavours that I grew up with were until I moved to the UK about 12 years ago and it sort of just struck me then and I felt a real sort of homesickness for my food and I couldn't find those flavours here. Yes, which is kind of what started uh, me to discover a little bit more about the cuisine but definitely I grew up with a real passion for cooking and that's where it all comes from.
5: And did you did you ever cook back at home or did the cooking primarily start when you were here?
4: Well no, I always cooked. I think I pretty much cooked since I was a child and I, I, I cooked and learnt vicariously watching all my aunts and my mum and my grandmother's cook and I sort of just picked up things in fact when I moved here it was funny because my mum said you don't even know how to cook because <laughs> I never really taught you and I said well I just actually learned watching you yeah. and, and those kind of memories sort of really inspired me to speak more yeah, about it and talk yeah. more about it. Yeah. There must
5: have been so many flavours and like spices that you used to smell that you didn't really even know yeah. were what would you say is quite a common Bhutanese cuisine spice. Like, what would you say is quite common to their?
4: It's dishes? It's hard to define one specific yeah. spice that defines Pakistani cuisine, but I think that the in the ultimate flavor of Pakistani food is a very haunting layered spiced flavor of food and I think it comes from a heritage of many different confluence of the South Asian continent yeah. subcontinent and all the flavors have combined to create Pakistani food as an individual flavor and I think that layering of different flavors is what defines the flavor of Pakistan so it's not just one spice but if it was to be a variety of a few spices I would say darker spices like darker. star anise yeah, and yeah. black cardamom and black cumin you know, the deeper richer flavours that um, sort of infuse in the food but then stay on the palate when you bite into them that is the kind of Flavor of Pakistani food. Definitely like an
5: infusion with also like Indian type food because it's very like curry based and
4: that kind of thing. Yeah, it's also there's different, there's such regional differences in the country. So it's hard to say that one specific kind of food defines Pakistani food. But I think the real thing that defines it is that ultimate style of cooking that is just created over centuries and migration and border influences and, you know, migration from 1947 to all the borders that are bordering. Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, China obviously North India they've all influenced the cuisine but then also the local cuisine that obviously was very much a definitive cuisine before partition so all of that mixed together creates a new flavour
5: and what would you say is like quite a local flavor that began with the cuisine like or like local food? That well, I mean, really...
4: it's hard because regionally, as any other country that has a lot of regions and provincial regions, it, every region has different food um, that defines that region. So if you were to really look at, say, Balochistan, which is sort of northwest of Pakistan, uh, sort of western Pakistan, that has got more arid climate. So they do a lot of like desert cooking, so lots of spit roast. One of the dishes there is called saji, which is cooked over a spit roast fire. And it's very simple. There's no chili, there's no spice in that region. So it's just salt and a bit of very local spices cooked on a really slow cooked um, spit fire. So that's one of the dishes. Um, And then if you were to go, it's delicious. And if you go to Peshawar in the northwest sort of area of Pakistan, you definitely see more animal fat cooking with meat. So definitely more mutton, lamb cooking with salt. So that's like
5: juice kind of sauce base. So a very
4: Afghani influence on that cooking. So there's definitely that. If you go to Lahore, which is obviously you know everyone knows about Lahori food but that's very Mughlai cooking based but then again they have very specific kind of regional dishes like for example they have charga which is a chicken that is steamed and then um, flash fried which is very local to Lahore so there's like loads of different local so cuisine. That, yeah, that there's don't even... so much to know and you know little parts in the Punjab region of Pakistan have yeah. their own food so it's it's a minefield. Yeah. <laughs> and uh,
5: with your career um, you've obviously launched cookbooks um, and with, within those cookbooks you've got obviously your initial memoir summers under the tamarind tree what's like the specific style would you say obviously I've read it I've seen it, yeah. but like to our listeners and everything like what's your kind of
4: I would say that's the food I grew up at home yeah with. okay um so that really defines the food that I grew up with that my mom cooked that my grands cooked and I think that's an interesting one because it speaks of somebody who was a first generation Pakistani yeah uh so I was born in in the 70s so much after partition. Uh, but my parents were both born in in India, in British India. So they were migrants to Pakistan. So they moved from different parts. So My mum came from Amritsar and my dad came from the northwest. In near Lucknow, so they brought in, in, in kind Udba. of... Yeah, so yeah. they brought their flavours. Wow. And then they kind of settled in Karachi, which is in Sindh province, which, you know, they were complete outsiders there so they kind of integrated their cuisine and my grandmothers and my everybody in my family started to cook the local regional influences so I kind of picked that up yeah so it defines an an immigrant cuisine really um and and I think then I've picked up loads of ideas from friends that were local people so you know it's just it's it's basically my dining table in a book
5: (laughs) and it's like you said it's like your memoir so it's very um like your parents have brought it from all over so it's not specific to something it's specific to you and your family yeah which is so nice yeah
4: and there's a bit of things that I picked up while living there and having friends that are people born in that region Um, so yeah it's a complete mix of everything that I grew up with
5: and you obviously do like cookery classes as well as being an author and everything else and in those cookery classes do you have like set menus that you use or like specific dishes that are more easier go to at home for the kind of more everyday cook
4: definitely I mean my cookery class is kind of range between um, sort of things that I would cook at home to different parts of the country that people don't know about. So sort of maybe more northern cuisine from the country, where, which is definitely more influenced by Central Asian food. So there are dumplings and soups with noodles and stuff. So I do all sorts of things that expose people to the, the distinctive cuisine of the country and also unknown and unre- you know, unknown recipes that people don't know. So I like people to kind of try everything from the yeah, country. Yeah, definitely.
5: And do you, would you say a lot of the cuisine is quite easy to make at home or because there's so, so many yeah
4: i think parts of it the slightly richer food the slow cooked food has got loads of spices and people get quite daunted by that and i think what i always tell people in the and i think cookery classes are great that way because you can actually be a voice to the book and say look don't get daunted by all these recipes yeah. and all the ingredients just go by the method and use what you have yeah. and try to play with a few spices that you have rather yeah. than get completely bogged down by a huge list
5: exactly and i think people sometimes get nervous although you're following a recipe yeah word for word which is great but people are like i got to have this spice yeah. but as long as you've kind of got the body of it in there I know
4: but I'm guilty of that yeah, if, I, if I I'm making say Northern Thai Thai food I'll be like I want this and I want yeah. that but it's actually Searching the I streets. have some lemongrass let's <laughs> yeah. start with that exactly
5: and you've got um, your new cookbook that came out this, this year uh, Mountain Berries and Desert, Desert spice. spice do you want to talk to me a bit more yeah. about that is that more pudding based yes yeah. it
4: was definitely pudding based and I think that you know Asian cuisine has a lot of spicy food but I think the dessert never get enough of a voice they're always that afterthought of you know the end of a South Asian meal where you say oh well you know, I'm too full to have South Asian yeah, yeah, yeah. but I think there's a lot of celebration of um, togetherness and festivity and exchanging gifts as sweets, um, that I really wanted to talk about. And there's a whole culture that people don't yeah. know about. I mean, I myself,
5: I yeah. don't know loads. It's all quite based on the, the ingredients you've just spoken about, the more savoury bits. So. Yeah.
4: So I wanted to expose that. I thought it was, it was a lovely story. And I think in a day where everyone's very scared of sugar, it's yes. also time to celebrate sugar sometimes and also the fact that a lot of our desserts have lots of fresh fruits and some spice and a little bit of excitement a little indulgence yeah. always is great so. and
5: yeah exactly like you said like even little bits of fruit as long as you spice it up a little yeah. bit it can make, give so much more
4: exactly and I thought I just wanted to expose things like people didn't know about like pancakes from our country and you know there's so many pancakes in the book and be amazed that in different parts of the country there loads of pancakes there's uh you know there's dumplings there's puddings made out of vermicelli um there's a kind of trifle with jelly you know there were all these different recipes I just grew up never really wanting as no. much but when I moved here I actually started craving them and I was like that's <laughs> what, what I actually need inspired yeah. me to write the book and it's 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 a bit of you know it says um uh, mountain berries and desert spice sweet inspirations from the Hunza Valley to the Arabian Sea and it really is like goes all the way from the north down down to the Arabian Sea sort of exploring the regions of the country and all the different desserts that I grew up learning and some of them are slightly modernized and made easy for the western cook uh, but I hope that essentially they have that level of authentic- and authenticity that I grew up yeah. with.
5: Yeah oh no definitely I look forward to reading it myself and so what's like next for you have you do you think any sort of restaurants or supper mm.
4: clubs or? Well I'm doing loads of events I'm doing loads of supper clubs and pop-ups around London Bath um, and around the country in, in Scotland as well where I am based now but I am hoping to I've pitched a a few more ideas for books. So I've definitely got many books under my belt there. Hopefully yeah. at uh. some point come up to there, to the publications sort of. But right now I just have to focus on promoting the two that I have already. Uh, but yes, many more stories to tell, many more flavours to explore. And I think lots of regions to highlight to the world.
5: Definitely exciting. And I think it's a cuisine that's definitely still evolving within London and the UK. I think so. so. I
4: think it's, it's evolving within the country itself yeah. because, you know, it's only, if you think about it, Pakistan's only 70 years old this year. But it is, you know, it's a cuisine that's been in the making for centuries. And I think with that history and the fact that it's a very young country, it's a real interesting cuisine that's yeah, developed. Definitely. Yeah.
5: Definitely. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank and you, and you Amanda See you again soon. See you soon. Thank you. And
1: last but not least, here's Nikki and I getting creative. Okay, hello, this is Laura, the editor of Olive, and I'm here with Nikki, our our editor. Hi! Now, you might remember Nikki from last year, because she's the creative, well, we're all creative, I hope, but the particularly crafty one in the team. And uh, we were having a conversation before planning our December issue, which is kind of our get-ready-for-Christmas issue. I know it seems terrifying thinking about (laughs) that now, but you need to get ahead. We're getting organised this year. Um, And we kind of thought it'd be really nice to kind of do some... DIY decorations and potentially some gifts and things, and we would utilise Nikki's wonderful skills. Um, Nikki also has a stationery business called Betty Lou Design, so you guys should all check that out. And we're kind of tapping into all the tips and tricks she uses in that business and on the magazine, of course. So, Nikki...
3: Hi! I've given away all my trade secrets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: um, let's go through some of the things that we've got in the feature, because um, if you guys haven't seen it, you really should. There's some beautiful, inspirational things to have a look at, but let's talk about some of the things that people can do at home. Definitely. Should we start with one of my favourites? Should we start with the um, mug? Yes. So, this is a really cool and really cheap way to really give a, a personalised, beautiful gift to one of your friends that's a foodie, or otherwise everyone everyone drinks tea, don't they? This is very
4: true.
3: <laughs> tea or um, coffee? Yes, um, indeed. So, Basically, you just buy a uh, plain white mug, which yep. you can get from anywhere. And yep. like, you can get one that's a bit fancier or cheaper, like as much as you like. Um, and then you use nail varnish to um, dip it. Okay. Um, so basically, I we went for like teary greens because they're really trendy right now. Yeah. Um, so you, it's really you have to be so quick; it's unreal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a few failed attempts. Um, so you your tepid water you put your nail varnish in and you only need like a few drops so it's really like good because you can buy a couple of nail varnishes and it will do your whole
1: set I love the idea of this and you say buy them but I've got I don't know about any other ladies or gentlemen out there but I have a huge (laughs) box of nail varnishes that I haven't used and like don't use anymore Um, and I don't know what to do with them, don't want to throw them away, I've got sentimental attachment yeah. to them. Um, so, yeah, you want to, basically you want a container that you can throw away because yeah. the nail varnish might damage the container. Exactly. So maybe like a cheap washing up bowl or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, that's or like perfect.
3: Or like, we, I use like an old like celebrations box. Oh, perfect. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and then you just dip the nail varnish in the water. Yeah. And then dunk yeah. the mug. and then you dunk
3: the <laughs> mug. Like, so you swill it and dunk. But okay. But you have to be like so quick. Okay. Because um, basically the nail varnish sets really quickly. Right, okay. So like, and it goes really like, yuck okay <laughs> so it's really important to do so Nikki's it Nikki's done all the hard can. work for
1: you so that you yeah. don't have to go through this reading exactly um,
3: but a really good like tip is that you can use like a nail varnish remover and like literally clean it all off if it goes great. wrong so it's not like you're going to end up buying 20,000 mugs no. to perfect the art <laughs> That's um, good. so yeah it's really good and then you just use like a little sealant spray okay. um which you can get we've got it in the feature from where you can get it from and yeah there you go
1: Yeah, so it looks really pretty, it's kind of white mug and then this really unique swirly design for the nail varnish, so definitely have a look in the feet to check that one out. Um, Definitely
3: give it a go. Anything
1: else you think we should be Um, doing this? this year from your feature, Nikki?
3: So I definitely think that you should all make your own wrapping paper because okay. also it's a real lovely statement under the tree. Yeah. So I know, like, obviously, like, the tradition, if you've got kids especially, like, you put it out in the evening and Santa's been, yeah. but for us grown-ups, <laughs> <laughs> I love putting my presents under the tree right from the, like, time yeah. the tree's up because yeah, it definitely. looks pretty. Um, so for this one, I just bought sort of plain. Um, Black and white paper, but you can obviously use any colour you like. And I went to town. (laughs) Um, It's quite messy, so make sure you sort of protect your house, but Mm. you just literally like flick. Paint okay. Um, it's a really pretty effect, actually,
1: isn't it? So, yeah. um, yeah, Nikki's gone through this amazing monochrome design so white and black, and with obviously contrasting paint.
3: There's a trend here, isn't the, there? There's the a white trend, and black yeah. Trend. <laughs> um,
1: and it looks amazing, it's really dramatic, It it's so simple, obviously, yeah. and really unique to you because nobody yeah. else is going to have that design yeah, exactly.
3: And depending on how crafty you are, so you can put um wax seals on them so yeah. you can get like personalised wax seal stamps which you can Great. buy on like Etsy and things. Okay. That's not in the feature, so that's a little oh, extra little extra tip. A little extra tip okay, for good. you. Um and make your own wax seal stamps. Um but then also that leads on very nicely to our um gift tags. Um so we've been really kind to you and <laughs> I've designed pre designed you some gift tags that you can download from olive magazine.com They're
1: very good um, like this and they are so cool. Can you just go through some of the designs <laughs> as well? Because you did one for me, didn't you yeah, as well I did. especially an
3: Merry Xmas, because uh, Laura's got her avocado obsession. <laughs> um, seasoned greetings, because I am a bit of a joker at olives. so I mean, yeah. I wasn't going to just do some standard ones. There are standard ones, there's like Merry Christmas and things, but yeah, Prosecco Ho Ho.
1: <laughs> nice, nice and playful, and they're really, really chic, and really, again, quirky and unique, and I think they'll really jazz up any wrapper, even if you don't do the homemade wrapping paper and just had these. Brown
3: paper, they'd look really cool too. Yeah, definitely. Uh,
1: So you can download those at olivemagazine.com, right? And you have the top design.
3: Yep, so you have the top design, um, which has obviously got the quirky names on it mm-hmm. um, and then also the bottom one so you print them both and okay. you whole punch through like cut them out whole punch through and then just twine them with some like lovely ribbon um, and then stick them on your present so, amazing yeah. okay anything else um, so we're a bit obsessed with gold at the moment and metallics. so oh, yeah. olive, like we're all talking about it very like, on trend crazy yeah. and it's going to be like the colour of the year next year like that Trend is that? Okay. apparently it's supposed to be like the color of next year. I knew
1: we we're so ahead of the curve, yeah, exactly. Just feels very luxurious, is not it? This time of year to do metallic, so yeah, yeah we're all about that.
3: Yep, yeah, so we've done um, make your own baubles, okay. Um, so like little gifty things that you can hang from your tree. I love um, the idea of these, yeah. So you like fill them with like chocolates and hang them from your tree. So we spray painted some, we dipped some in gold leaf. um, Really lush. And, yeah, it's just a really, like, lovely, like, finish um, and so much nicer than, like, what everybody else has on their tree. Yeah,
1: exactly. A bit bit more classy. Yeah, exactly.
3: Definitely. Um, I guess another one to talk about is my um, advent calendar. Mm -hmm. Um, So, basically, it's like a make-your-own-advent calendar, so it becomes, like, a real statement decoration in your home. It's not just, like, your standard normal one with like the little windows yeah no
1: one else will have this yeah
3: exactly apart from
1: very clever olive olive readers readers.
3: (laughs) (laughs) um so i basically i bought a pole but you can go foraging for a suitable stick yeah um if you want something a bit more rustic um, and then you hang foliage from that pole and yeah. then you tie all of your, like, little gift boxes. Such a nice um, idea. So,
1: yeah, you have this hanging pole and then ribbons of different length with yeah. the with the boxes With the, with numbers. the boxes, yeah.
3: yeah, and then I just sort of um, sprayed and painted mine and um, stuck wooden numbers on, which okay. you can buy from Hobbycraft and that just gives it, like, another, like, little extra dimension to it. Um,
1: and obviously, but, Nikki's given you all of her ideas, sorry to interrupt you, Nikki, which are beautiful and amazing, but the whole point of this feature is that she kind of gives you all the expertise to do it and then you can go and make it completely your own. So if you wanted to do black and white or if you want to do any other colours or, you know, draw... Santa on them or something make them more kid friendly you can do it however you want can't you but that's yeah, the whole definitely.
3: point I think like it's just giving an idea isn't it yeah and it's nice for you to go and put your own twist on it and I yeah, think definitely. that's really lovely and if you do put your own twist on it then nobody else is going to have what you have
1: exactly and then you have to Instagram us and tweet us so we can see and then steal your idea for next year <laughs> <laughs> we've also got um quite a lot of decorations for the table as well haven't we so we've got lots of things you can hang out, gifts you can make but um we really care about you've gone to all that trouble in the Christmas issue and December issue of making these amazing meals for Christmas, using our recipes, obviously. But how about the table? What's going to look like when it gets to the table? And Nikki's came come up with some great ideas for uh, making it look extra special, haven't you?
3: Definitely. Um, one of my favourites are the sort of dip-dyed ombre-type napkins. Mm-hmm. Um, so you buy plain white napkins and yeah. you customise them yourself. Um, okay. So you buy a fabric dye, um, which you can buy all over the shop. Yeah. Um, we've given you some suggestions in the issue, but yeah, you can buy it anywhere. Okay, great. Um, and then, so you can just... Dip it straight in. So you follow the pack instructions, and you can just dip it straight in. Mm. But I painted mine on so that it had a graduated colour as it goes up. Really,
1: really beautiful, really classy as well. Yeah, and like
3: you're never going to get like the same result. But Mm. actually, I love that because Mm. there's like that's the charm about it. Um, And the good thing is, is as long as you follow the instructions, like set it on the pack, then you can wash them and reuse them again. Fantastic. Um, So it's like a really lovely. I just think they'd look great on on your table. Yeah, and again,
1: you can use whatever colour you want so if you're theming your christmas table if it's red or blue or green like we've done you can do whatever will suit you right um we're running out of time and i don't want to give away all of our secrets no. from the feature but just a sort of tease of other things that we've done that people can look out for nikki tell us some of the don't go into what we're doing with them because people, have to, read people the feature, have to buy the issue but uh, tell, tell them what to look out for
3: so we have gold sprayed charger plates great um your centrepiece decorations. Um, I'm not going to tell you about that. No. We'll have to have a look. Um, our own Christmas crackers and place names. Um, and of course, they're slightly foodie related because that's who we are.
1: Cos Olive. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nikki. It's a really great feature. Such easy and clever ways to make your Christmas that much better, handmade and DIY. Definitely. And um, do check out Nikki's business, Betty Lou Design. Thank you. Thanks. Bye thank you to everyone on today's podcast and to you lovely listeners for tuning in remember you can get even more olive magazine goodness in the magazine itself which is in all good supermarkets and news agents now you can read us via our digital app or at olivemagazine.com plus you can get in touch with us directly via social media at olive magazine Now, here's the bit where I beg for you to review and rate us. I know I do it every single episode, but each rating or review, if you have the time, makes a massive difference to our reach, i.e. even more people will get to hear us. So, spread the love, if you please. And until next time, we hope you get all the treats this Halloween. Bye!